Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Well, today after service, I'm going to be to the left as you exit. So if this is your first time here with us, I'd love to hear just a little bit about how God brought you to church uh, this morning. And if you're joining us at home later in the week uh, online, we want to say hello to you. Uh, We have been actively working to get our online broadcast up and running. We haven't quite met that goal yet, but we're really, really close. So for those of you that can only engage online in this season, hang in there. Uh, Pretty soon you'll be able to watch our entire service start to finish aired live uh, on Sunday morning. So we're excited about that. Now, this is a series where we've been saying that every song is a story, that every song communicates something. And it's this time of year where we sing a lot of songs. And there's a lot of songs that we hear that we're very familiar with. And so what we're doing for the next few weeks is saying and asking the question, what is this story telling us? And as we discern some of these stories that we're so familiar with through song, how do they line up with what we believe to be true or not true? In fact, uh, Colossians 2.8 says this, uh, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So even if you're here today and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christ follower, you would at least agree with this because no one wants to be held captive. No one wakes up and says, I want to be deceived. And so as we think about some of these books that we read or movies that we watch this time of year or music that we hear on the radio, what is the story that is being told? See, the rest of this verse goes on to say, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So in this series, what we're doing is we're taking the season of Advent and we're using Advent as a lens to say, what does the story of Christmas say about some of these popular songs that we hear every single year? And when we say the word Advent, Advent simply means arrival. And it's this time of year where we reflect that on many years ago, we we learned about the arrival of Christ and how that transforms how we think about hope and how that transforms how we think about peace and joy and love. Now, some of us grew up with a liturgical background and we're used to this rhythm of lighting candles or maybe that's a part of your faith tradition. And so we're taking that and having a little bit of modern fun with it as well. Now, last week, Pastor Wendell did a great job kicking off this series. And the first song that we looked at is that it's the most wonderful time of the year. And he started what I would call a little bit of Eastern Hills Christmas karaoke. And so if you've ever watched American Idol or any of those shows and said, I could make it, this is your time to shine. And so Trevin's not here this morning, so I told him that I would hold for it and we'd have a little bit of auditions. And so if anybody hereby, nearby, if they're they're just crushing it this morning with the vocals, let us know. We'd love to have them join the team. But we're going to take a moment and we're going to sing this song together. Uh, There's no place like home for the holidays, just a little bit of it. And fun fact for you, Robert Allen, who I didn't know much about prior to this week, is from Troy, New York. It's from close to home. All right, so let's sing a few lines together. Are you ready? You all warmed up and ready to go? 
Here we go. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Cause no matter how far away you roam, if you want to be happy in a million ways, for the holidays you can't beat home, sweet home. You guys sound great. Give yourself some hand. Yeah, there we go. Now, if you didn't sing this morning, that's okay, uh, because in a few weeks, we're going to look at the song, The Grinch, uh, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, and so maybe you might resonate with that song. I'm kidding, okay? Rest your fingers this week. No emails, please. I've got enough uh, in my inbox. When you think about the words of this song, here's a question. How many of you here today would want to be happy in a million ways? If you're, if you're not raising your hand, I, I don't know what else to do for you today. <laughs> but here's another question. It, this song equates happiness with the home. And so when you think about this word here this morning, home, what comes to mind? When you think about this word home, where do your thoughts drift? When you think about home, what are you feeling inside? Uh, there's a TED Talk um, by a, a woman named Jenny Kim, and she unpacks this whole concept of what we think about home and what home is, that it's this place that we spend a significant amount of time, but, but more than just being a physical location, what she talks throughout the TED Talk about is that home is this idea of belonging, that we equate home with this sense and feeling of the place that we belong. But the reality is, is that for not all of us, not all of us here today would say that home is a place of belonging. And I think that we can all agree that there are other places and other people in this world that wouldn't say that home is a sense of belonging. You know, one of our partners, strategic partners, they'll be in the lobby today after service is Hope Print. And Hope Print ministers to refugees people that have been misplaced, people that have left their home because of war, injustices, things that are taking place. So for when they think of the word home, I don't know if it's the sense of belonging. And some people have experienced poverty, and poverty can change your whole outlook on home. I remember my freshman year in college, my mom had a lifelong battle with alcoholism. And I'll never forget how it disrupted our home to the point where one day I went and visited her my freshman year in a homeless shelter. And I never had this conversation with my mom in this way, but I bet you if I were to ask her this question and saying, does this feel like home or a place of belonging? And she would say, no, absolutely not. And for some people that have experienced domestic violence, home is not a place of belonging. Home is a place of fear. And so the point here is not everybody would think about home and say that this is the source of being happy in a million ways. So today I'd like us to consider a different perspective, an alternative perspective, and that happiness isn't found in a place. Rather, that happiness is found in a person. 
You know, there are many teachers and pastors and scholars, uh, including myself, that have taught on joy and happiness and the distinction. And maybe you've heard this before. They would say, well, when it comes to happiness, that happiness depends on circumstances, but really joy is a gift from God. And maybe they provided several examples of the distinction. But as I was studying this week, what I found is that these words are used interchangeably. That when we think about happiness and joy, as we look at the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31.3 says, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. And then in Proverbs, it says this. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. So my point here is that I'm not convinced that it's so important that we draw a distinction this morning between joy and happiness, unless we want to argue about, you know, the word glad and, and being happy or, or not one and the same. And if, if you want to argue about that, then uh, I got nothing for, <laughs> nothing for you this morning. But I don't want us to split hairs about joy and happiness. What I want us to consider this morning is where does joy and happiness come from? What's the source of joy and happiness? Here we go. <laughs> um, in the scriptures, we see that the word joy comes from this word chara. And what we, we see is that it's always in a response to the natural work of God, something that he's done in the past, something that he's doing in the present, and something that he promises to do in the future. We see the, the joy of deliverance. There's a response to people that have been set free. We see the joy of salvation. You see, our greatest reason to be joyful this time of year, beyond all of the lights and the ribbons and bows, for those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, ultimately, is the joy of salvation. The gift that, we've been that we have received through Christ. Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus saying that we are saved by grace, and grace alone, or faith in Christ, and that it's not something that we earn, it's something that God freely gives to us. And once we've received that gift, once we've called on the name of Jesus and we simply change our mind about who Jesus is and what he's done and we change our mind about sin in our life, we belong to him. And nothing can then separate us from the love of Jesus. We are connected to him, salvation. And once we've experienced that, the response is joy. We also see that there's the joy of spiritual maturity. That once we experience this connection in Christ, the Holy Spirit then dwells within us. And that one of the fruit, fruits of the Spirit is, is joy. That the Holy Spirit begins to convince us of who Jesus is and we're confident in his promises. And so we experience the fruit, not only in our life, but in the lives of other people as we walk in obedience to Christ. And then this morning, what we're looking at is the joy of God's presence. That the Holy Spirit draws us into the presence of God. That if it weren't for God, we wouldn't ever experience what true, true joy really is. And so this morning, we're going to look at the joy that is found in the response to the arrival of Christ. And it's found in Luke's gospel. And he says... And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
Now, this is a common response to God's glory. One of the movies that I watched growing up as a kid was the movie Sandlot. And there's this famous scene where they're all out playing baseball on the 4th of July, and they just stop everything that they're doing, and they begin to look at the fireworks just mesmerized. And sometimes we think that'll be our response to when we, you know, experience the glory of God. But when we look at the scriptures, the response is the human trying to process what they're experiencing through their senses and what they experience is, is terror. Now, contextually, what's happening during this time is that life was incredibly difficult. At the time that the angel provided these, this news is that, you know, taxes were high. People had fear of government. Morality was a slippery slope. Sure, there was Roman law. Sure, there was Greek philosophy. And yes, there was Jewish religion. But despite all of those things existing, there was still a need in humanity's heart that the things of this world could not satisfy. And then joy showed up. And then happiness showed up. But as I was reading through this account that we read year after year, one of the questions popped into my mind this week was, why these shepherds? And there were shepherds living out in the fields. See, shepherds were Gentiles, so they weren't just hanging out at the temple. They weren't the ones that grew up as scholars of, of the scrolls and the prophecies that were so familiar with the promise of the Messiah. No, they weren't even permitted. They were considered unclean. And so it's amazing to me that the best news in hundreds of years came, from, came through anonymous shepherds and not the priests or the scribes. So why? Well, what was true about shepherds during this time is that they were not easily fooled. Shepherds had a reputation of not giving in to fantasy. So if you were going to communicate such a story of an angel appearing with this great news of the Messiah coming and arriving in the form of a child, you'd have to consider the source. And so for the shepherds, as they would share this story, people would know that these are not the type of people that are prone to tall tales. You know, one way of saying this is that with the shepherds, you never had to worry about fake news, only true news about the arrival of Christ. Luke continues, he says this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. One of the things that's true about Luke was that he was a physician by trade. So he knew the importance of being precise because you know that if you're just a smidge off, it can be deadly. So as he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit, every word, every phrase was to be chosen with incredible intentionality. So it's no coincidence that as Luke recorded these words, that there is a direct connection to what was prophesied about the Messiah many years ago in Isaiah 52. How delightful on the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Again, Luke and Isaiah and the connection of joy and happiness being used synonymously. 
Luke recorded this message here, and what the angel declared was simple. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So both Isaiah and Luke would agree that when it comes to happiness, when it comes to joy, happiness isn't found in a place. Happiness or joy is found in a person. Let's think about this. Where were the shepherds living? Out in the what? The field. That was home. That was home to them, living out in the fields. Let's think about the story of Mary and Joseph. Wendell reminded us that this journey that they went on was 80 miles. Leaving the place that they had said was home, the place where now that they were called out, how did Mary conceive of a child? Is that story really true? Imagine the conflict at home between family and friends, leaving that home, that place is no longer that sense of belonging, to another place that certainly would not have felt like home because there were many people out to disrupt the arrival of Christ, including the king of that time, that would do anything to get in the way of someone that could threat, that was a threat to his power. And then you have the, the wise men who went through great lengths, leaving their home in search of happiness or joy or something more than what this world had to offer, despite everything that they had in that moment. But if you're here today and, and maybe you got an invitation to church and, or you're in town visiting with relatives or, and you wouldn't say that you would consider yourself a Christ follower, but every once in a while you, you like to come to church or maybe you stumbled onto the, the sermon online or whatnot and you would say, I'm not sure if I would agree. I'm not sure that I would say that happiness or joy is found in a person. One of the things that's true about the scripture is that it's filled with people that have doubt. It's filled with people that are skeptical. And so for just a few moments, if you would just bear with me, what I know to be true about all of us, even if you are a Christ follower, is that we all have people in our lives that would say, I'm not sure I believe this to be true. And one of the things that the scriptures say is that the role of pastors or leaders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So how do we have conversations that don't think and believe the same thing that we do? So if I'm engaging with someone that has maybe an irreligious perspective, they might say that happiness is found in the fulfillment of pleasurable desires and experiences. That happiness is something that we define, that it's at the hands of each individual. Whatever you think will make you happy, go and experience that. It's up to you to define purpose. Make the best out of life. And some people might say, what could be wrong with that? Because happiness is in my hands. I'm in control. I get to determine what's going to ultimately make me happy. I have the privilege of still having little ones at home where I can say goodnight to them at the end of the day. And every once in a while they ask really funny questions or you listen to them pray and you get to see what God's doing in their hearts. But in those moments, you share things and I'm discovering that they remember those conversations very well. So imagine tucking a child in at the end of the day and the conversation goes like this. Do whatever makes you happy. Just make up whatever purpose or meaning for you, for your life that you like and go and do that. You see, regardless of what you believe to be true about 
Jesus, the thing that we can all agree on is that we get to make a choice in how we live our lives. And we'd also have to agree that whatever we choose, that there will be consequences. And so if happiness is up to us to define, then that means that we can choose to say happiness is through the pursuit of, uh, the pursuit of pursuing good for others and being kind, giving sacrificially, using our time to serve in the community, to be a good person, that's happiness. But if anybody can determine what happiness is, that also means that someone else would have the ability to say, happiness is about me and my wants and my desires. I don't wanna be selfless. I wanna be selfish. I wanna acquire the, the best of what this world has to offer no matter the cost. It doesn't matter the wake of damage behind me because this is happiness and I'm gonna pursue that at all costs. So here's the problem with this worldview. Happiness cannot be found by seeking it. Happiness is always the byproduct of something else. And so in our hands, if we say, this is our ultimate thing and I'm pursuing it and this is my happiness and I'm in control, we have to recognize that so much of life is outside of our control. So how much can you really control your happiness? Here's a, a quote from a, from a global icon that experienced much of what this world has to offer. They said, I have an iron will, and of all my will, and of all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to go to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. Don't miss this. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. I remember the end of my freshman year. It was a year of addiction. My freshman year in college, I went away to school and left a, a small town and went to a place where I didn't have any friends or any community, so I chose drugs and alcohol as my pursuit of happiness to make me feel good. And night after night after night, that was my pattern. And I remember waking up one morning alone thinking to myself, this, what I am seeking after, is not satisfying. It will never fill me. I felt empty inside. Here's another perspective. It's the religious perspective. Happiness is found from God through his provision of pleasurable desires and experiences. In this worldview, we say God is Santa Claus. And if I'm obedient, if I obey all of the laws, if I check off all of the boxes, and I'm on the nice list, then under the trees will be the presence. Because happiness, again, is in your control. The more obedient that I am, the more that I get back in return. One verse that a lot of teachers will use to justify this thinking is found in Matthew's gospel. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. And some will teach, now go and declare 
What you put in is what you will get back. Here's the problem. God will never be in our debt. He doesn't owe us. As, as much as I would like life to work this way, I, you know, I, I probably, there's a part of me in the way that I pray that there's probably a part of me that, that believes this to be true, but it doesn't work this way. You know what, Rob? I saw how you handled that conversation. You've done some good things. I, I really like what you're doing for me, and you know, I owe you one. So let's, let's get square. And that thing that you really want, here you go. It's yours. That's not the gospel. See, the good news that God delivered is the opposite of that. Paul told the church, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the message of the gospel is this. God paid a debt that we could not pay ourselves. And just stop and consider this. The news came to the shepherds. Even if they got to the place where they said, there's a debt that I have to pay, they couldn't even reconcile. They weren't even permitted to go to the temple and to sacrifice and to help themselves be right with God. They couldn't do that. They were unclean, and yet God chose the greatest news in hundreds of years to come through them. Why? Because this news was not just for the religious elite. This news was for all people. Take a look at this picture. How many people went out to Beacon Skiff this fall? A few people. Anybody make apple pie this, this Thanksgiving? A few people still recovering from Thanksgiving? I get that. See, the irreligious perspective says, if you think that happiness is on the tree, if you think happiness is that apple on the tree, just go and grab it. The religious perspective says, happiness is on this tree. And this tree exists to serve you. All you have to do is go and get the ladder, a little bit of work, climb the tree and get it, and happiness is yours. But Jesus comes along and says, happiness is found through a connection in me. And this is not of your own doing. This is through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And once we simply believe and call upon the name of Jesus, we are connected to him. We are connected to the source of joy and happiness. And once you're connected to him, you experience the fruit of joy, and now he begins to work through you, and in your life, other people experience joy because you are connected to Christ. Here's how the shepherds chose to respond. When they had seen him, when they had seen the Messiah, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Did you catch that? They receive the good news and their response was to share it with other people. They couldn't help themselves. I have received the greatest gift. So many of us are gonna receive gifts this Christmas. Some that we will like, some that we will not like as much. 
but on those gifts that just catch you by surprise, that are incredibly thoughtful, that you didn't see coming, what do you do? You tell other people about this gift that you have received. And for the shepherds, it didn't just stop there. They kept rejoicing. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I want to show you a video. And this is a video maybe some of you have seen. It was produced by ESPN. And in the video, you're going to see people responding to lives being brought together. And I want us to ponder what's going on inside us as we watch God bring people together and the response that happens. Take a look at this video. I think I watched that video several times this week and every time I just can't help but to tear up. You see, what we're experiencing in that moment when we watch this video is that there's something going on inside. You see, I believe that God has placed something within each of us to be reconciled to him. And then we watch that. There's this longing to experience joy in return. Being connected with someone that loves you profoundly. Experiencing true belonging and that we belong in Christ Jesus that God has created you with a specific purpose and that purpose is to know him and to experience joy through him, connected to him. See, joy is an absolute response. We can be happy and sad and experience joy all at the same time. Let me ask you this. Do you remember the first time that you believed in Christ? Do you remember that moment where you said, I'm placing my faith in Christ? I believe that he is my savior. Do you remember that joy that you felt? And if you've not experienced that, let me tell you, the emotion you just experienced in that moment fails in comparison to what it's like to be connected to Jesus. And it's simple. Place your faith in him and him alone. But the story of the gospel doesn't just start with the arrival of Christ. The last book of the New Testament reminds us, and it says that I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, or home, is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. God's going to bring me a new remote for Christmas. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything but, but don't miss this. It's, the joy is not just from the absence of pain. 
The joy is not just from the brokenness and the things that drive us crazy about this world. No, 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 no. Joy is found in the one that we are connected to. If heaven is exciting to you because of all of this stuff goes away and that's simply it, then you've missed it. Because what makes heaven and the new earth, heaven and the new earth is Jesus. That's the joy that is found in the presence of Christ. Happiness is not found in a place or a person. Happiness or joy is found. Or it's not, happiness or joy isn't found in a place. Happiness or joy is found in a person. Would you stand on your feet this morning if you're able? Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.